0: Thank you for joining us for part 2 of the Brief Premiums podcast on the origins and implications of the Legal Services Act 2007 on its 10th anniversary or at least as its 10th anniversary year comes to a close. In part 1 we discussed the origins of the act, the Clementi review and its uh, the legislation's progress through parliament and what the government hoped to achieve by bringing forward the legislation. Now we're going to have a look At whether the Act lived up to its billing, with me still are Charles Lord Faulkner, now a partner at the London office of US law firm Gibson Dunn. He was the Secretary of State for Constitutional Affairs, as was at the time of the implementation of the Act. Andrew Holroyd, the President of the Law Society in 2007-08 and currently Executive Chairman of Jackson Lees, a law firm in Liverpool and Manchester. And Sheila Kumar, the Chief Executive of the Council of Licensed Conveyances, who ten years ago was a civil servant who was seconded by the Ministry of Justice to the Clementi Review. Welcome back. We are ten years on and uh, it seems to have flown by. Um, Sheila, you mentioned that one of the motivations, at least one of the terms of reference, uh, on on the at the Clementi Review stage was that you were faced with, or the legal profession had, up to 23 regulators, mm. quasi-regulators, etc. Has that regu- uh, Lord Faulkner, has that regulatory maze, that that mantra of doing something about the regulatory maze, been achieved a decade on? It seems arguably that much of the maze is still there and indeed you've got uh, another tier with the Legal Services Board, some people argue. Has the legislation succeeded on that front of simplifying the regulatory maze? Simplified it to some extent,
1: but inevitably if what you are trying to achieve in uh, the reform is to allow different forms and different professions to work together and different people to work together, inevitably more regulators may get involved. I think there are less regulators now than there were before but i don't think uh, the, the question seems to me to be does the maze of regulation provide a dampener on innovation i don't believe that it does i believe far from it the changes that were introduced have been a promoter Of innovation. I don't think it equally provides any barriers to entry. Again, quite the reverse. I don't think it provides an additional significant cost that is not worth paying. So I think there's still some degree of complication. I don't think it's as bad as it was before. I certainly don't think it's worth spending too much time, for example, legislating or tidying it up.
2: I think also, if I may, that I think the roles and responsibilities of the people within the regulatory landscape are much clearer. Mm. So one thing we found when we were sort of mapping the maze, as it were, was the kind of the number of handoffs, potentially, some of them almost unseen, but then the question is, well, why were they there? So I think actually there has been that degree of sort of stripping that back and sort of repatriating the responsibilities to where they ought to sit. Some
3: simplification as well, I mean, particularly in the complaints handling process, which I think think has been a great success. And that is, to some extent, the major interplay between the consumer and the professions. And I think the simplification of that process has been a great success.
0: Now, one of the the other main planks of the legislation was to create... Uh, a new beast called the alternative business structure. Now, Andrew, your firm has uh, embraced that uh, status and has has, has has been granted an ABS licence. At the time, on the positive side, people described it as Tesco law. On the, on the arguably <laughs> slightly more negative side, people used to be alarmist about uh, the prospect of IRA or mafia law. Um, now, neither of those seems to have uh, come to pass. Um, why did you adopt ABS status? And do you think with... I think it's about a thousand plus now licences having been granted. Was it worth the trouble? Was it was it, is, first of all was it worth the trouble for your firm, and secondly, having cre- this created this status, is it worth it more broadly for the profession? With only about a thousand or so licences having been granted.
3: Yeah, well, I think I think we're seeing a, a, an evolution, um, not a revolution. Um, we've seen. I mean, we went to become an ABS because we have two non-lawyer. Uh, managers, in fact, my CEO and my COO uh, are both non-lawyers, and our uh, practice is a heck of a lot better from having them running the business. Um, al- also, we, we, you know, we, we want to take on external investment. I think one of the things that really stymied the structures before was the lack of investment to actually make, chain, make big inroads in the market, uh, because the LLP structure. is is not a great way of enabling investment to take place and we changed to be a limited company which is more of an investment vehicle than an llp so but we're at the early stages of really developing this concept Um, the real disruptors actually are the people the it people who have come into law such as uh, riverview and others who actually are people with IT background who have come and said, we can use this IT to disrupt the market and do law. And we're seeing increasing numbers of them come in. So we've got ABSs, which are still basically law firms with a lot of lawyer involvement, and we're beginning to see other people come in from a de- very different viewpoint, which I think is for the benefit of the public.
0: Now, Lord Faulkner, what about uh, the other angle on ABSs, which was um, and has been, but uh, to a. Arguably, lesser extent, the ability to float on to, for, for public investment, non-lawyer investment in law yeah. in law firms, and, and the ability of uh, of legal businesses to float on stock exchanges. And we've got uh, four firms in this country, three of which are on the London Exchange. Um, you are now a partner at a city law firm. Yeah. Um, is uh, is this going to be embraced? Well. Uh I mean, the the, the flotation stuff has not happened
1: particularly uh, widely. I I suspect the amounts of new money that have been brought into, for example, city law firms is quite limited because the model of city law firms by and large worked and uh, the the, the partners in the law firms didn't feel the need to raise new money and their uh, clients were perfectly satisfied with the services that were being being, uh, offered. I think what Andrew says is very significant. Yes, there's been some changes, but it's not been that significant. It's the IT possibilities coming down the track that are going to, I suspect, utterly transform the market. The idea of Tesco law is you can get your will, get your conveyance, get your divorce all done in a much more consumer-friendly operation. The change in the regulatory framework, opening up the possibility of lawyers and non-lawyers doing that together coupled with uh, uh, digital change is the combination that is going to change the market, I think. And what we've done in the Act is provide the regulatory framework within which that is possible. And it happens at a time when people have got experience of that.
0: Now, Sheila, um, could I just come on to you on on that point about... um the the possibility of being able to, for, as, from a from a consumer stroke client's point of view, being able to have much more bundled services. Um, you now work at the um, you're, you're now the chief executive of the Council of Licensed Conveyances. Mm-hmm. Um, there also seems to be a uh, a market in regulation now as well. I mean, is that is that is that fair to say? I mean, there's. Um, There's uh, the Bar Standards Board and the the SRA uh, and uh, potentially your own organisation ultimately offering all lawyers a regulatory structure. Uh, Is that healthy or is it just confusing?
2: I think it's healthy. I mean, I think... Sorry, just to go back a step, I suppose, to alternative business structures, I think it's worth, I suppose, reminding that under the Council for Licensed Conveyances regime, actually external investment and non-lawyer ownership were already permitted before the Legal Services Act. So actually it was very useful to have a UK-based model for those things. So why couldn't other law firms, for whom it was appropriate, potentially leverage those sorts of things? And I think we found that actually there has been a response in businesses who find that it's appropriate for them. And as Lord Faulkner and Andrew are both saying... It wasn't supposed to be to force people through it, but it was a facilitative measure for those people who might find it useful. Um, I think the question about regulatory choice, in a sense, falls very much into that bracket. Firms will decide what is the best regulatory approach for them. We're very proud that we're a specialist regulator of conveyancing and probate we think there are absolute benefits in having a specialist regulatory regime. And some of our firms have seen that. So they haven't had the difficulties sometimes in, for example, getting on to lender panels because people understand it's a specialist regime. For other firms who are doing more broad-spectrum legal work, Clearly, our regime isn't appropriate and they will want to go for the SRA regime. And I think that's a sensible business decision that people can take.
0: Mm. Now, Lord Faulkner, finally, um, you are a well-established Queen's Council practising barrister of many years standing, but you are also now a partner at the American office, oh, sorry, the London office of a US law firm. Now, that's something that, you know, 10 years ago, a sentence that probably wouldn't, have been possible of utterance yes mm. um are you the living breathing example of how the act has arguably created a fused profession here through the back door is there any real difference between the way the firms are stru- your firm is structured in london than it is in america
1: uh, yes i, do, I mean I, I think it has led to great change but it's led to change that gives opportunities it hasn't got rid of a fused profession. There is still a strong independent bar, but equally there is now a new uh, offer that can be made to the market. You can have partners who are both practising barristers and solicitors, which is not uh, typical of what went on before. It's just an alternative way of doing it without getting rid of the other model as well. So, yes, I am the living, breathing proof of what the Act can achieve, but it hasn't meant other models don't equally operate including the model that was there before.
0: Lord Faulkner, Sheila Kumar, Andrew Hallroyd, thank you very much. Thank you all for joining us and we look forward to welcoming you back to another podcast in a few weeks time.